Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It highlighted a huge issue of violence against women in Ireland. There's violence going on behind closed doors and everything like that, and they don't nearly receive as much attention as something like this. I think as well, a lot of young people would see themselves in her position and understanding that sort of fear. Nothing in his past would indicate that this was coming down the line. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Joseph Puska has been found guilty of murdering Ashling Murphy in January 2022. A jury of three women and nine men spent just over two hours, 20 minutes deliberating their verdict. Today I'm joined by Crime World's Claude Amini, who was in court as the verdict was read out. We discuss the emotions in court, the nonsense defence, and the man who was labelled by the presiding judge, Justice Tony Hunt, as evil. I'm Niall Donald and this is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So Joseph Puska has been found guilty of the murdering of the murder of Ashling Murphy. No surprise to anyone. I mean, I think the judge really summed it up in a couple of lines saying there was evil in the courtroom and really uh, questioning why the family were put, the Ashling Murphy's family were put through this. Yeah, so um, today when the verdict came through, um, Judge Justice Tony Hunt, he did say to the to the jury that he was glad that they didn't waste any more of their, their valuable time on Puska's nonsense. Um, he was very critical of Puska and his defence. He did say, however, that it was no reflection of Michael Bowman, senior counsel for the defence or his team on the defence that they gave. It was more so the farcical story that Joseph Puska came up with. Yeah, obviously a, 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 a defence team or any legal team have to be instructed by their client. They don't get to choose, they may get to choose to advise on strategy they don't get to choose, you know, what 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 their, the position their client takes. I mean, it's so it's gone on for four weeks, Claudia. You've been in there for the majority of the time. What sort of impression did you get of Joseph Puska when you know we've had to be very careful in discussing this, being very neutral? I mean, as you listen to the evidence uh, that he gave, the 
convoluted stories, the fact that he was outright lying and clearly lying at times. Um, you know, it's very, very kind of unusual for somebody. It's it's quite a sort of sociopathic way to behave, isn't it? Yeah, like you're saying there, we have to, have to be so careful. Like, I suppose when you're covering these cases in court and there's, you know, whispers amongst the lawyers, you're like, oh my God, what have I said? What have I done? Are they going to call me out and I'm going to yeah. be the the reason yeah. this trial has collapsed? But yeah, we can talk a lot more freely now. I mean, Joseph Puska, throughout the trial, he was sitting with his interpreter in the dock Um there was a, a big a big sense of family. Um, yeah. His whole family almost were there almost every single day. Kind of in the last latter couple of days, there was more members of the family um, present um, and they were all in court today for the um, verdict. Um, he seems to be a sort of, you know, very hard to read, I would say. He gave no reaction or emotion to the verdict. I think it actually took him a minute to realise what had happened because it obviously it was being translated to him. Um, he just kind of hung his head and put it in his hands. Um, throughout the court, he's kind of sat very attentively. Um, obviously, there's a lot going on. Um, I would say he's trying to trying to hear what's happening in English, but also listening to his translator. And it can be hard to take in all that information as a journalist sitting there, but to have kind of two different conversations going on, I'd say it was a lot for him to take in. He just seemed kind of, I would say, overwhelmed by the proceedings. Um, Did he react emotionally, like when when some of the very graphic descriptions of how Ashling Murphy died, was he reacting to that? Was he standing stone-faced? No, he was very stone-faced, I would say. Um, there was kind of a lot of deep breathing and sort of like sighs almost. Um, and again, I would say that was just him taking in the vast amount of the um, the translation. And I suppose he's not hearing things in the same time scale that we are. He's hearing them, you know, a couple of seconds, maybe a minute or so later after it's been translated to him. But there wasn't really much palpable emotion. Yeah. Um, you couldn't, I didn't see him kind of being um, teary-eyed or kind of, you know, displaying gritting his stress. Yeah, there was, was none of that. I mean, I suppose, uh, like, when you look at something like this, this sort of case, I mean, let's, like, obviously, we actually we heard, I think, in the opening statement where where the, the, the prosecution said, Ashley Murphy's not going to, we're not going to hear too much about her um, because it's not her on trial, it's Joseph Puska on trial. But I suppose the reason uh, this story really, you know, really, impacted on people is because Ashling Murphy was an absolutely blameless young woman. I mean, I'm not saying anybody is to blame who's a victim of that sort of crime, but really this is, you know, she was a, a young woman, a school teacher who never, nobody had a bad word to say about. She lived a, a, a you know, a blameless life um, in 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 a rural part of Ireland. Um, she obviously was out jogging, and you would hope that a woman, a young woman in those circumstances in a country like Ireland, is safe. Yeah, you would hope that you know that that she would not ever have to encounter any level of threat or violence, let alone to die in such a horrific manner. Um, so that's why it was shocking. And I'm asking about Joseph Puska because it's very hard to understand why somebody would do oh, this. Oh, absolutely. 
And we don't get that, of course, from the trial, do we? No, I mean, I suppose the only kind of mention we got about Ashing's personality, I suppose, was at the end when, after the verdict, you know, Justice Hunt did say, you know, while we didn't hear much about Ashing Murphy, we can say she loved kids. She was a school teacher. She loved GAA. You know, he referenced back to the, you know, the bloodstained GAA top that we seen during the trial. Um, and he said, you know, that's that sort of is the, there's a lot of sense of community in GAA. Yeah. And that could that was kind of an example of the the good that are, there is in the world out there yeah. in contrast to what he said was the evil in the room. I mean, when this happened to Ashing Murphy, and I suppose as well, um, it's how the public often view victims. Yeah. Um, especially women can be victimised and, and victim blamed in the sense that if it was a sex worker who died, people often see that, you know, there's a level of blame there Well, she shouldn't have been doing that. And that's where a lot of the outcry came from in Ashing Murphy's death was because if she was seen as this blameless victim who was just going about her day. And I suppose as well, a lot of people, myself included, could see themselves reflected in Ashing Murphy. You know, I remember when it happened at the time, I, it actually, it did upset me, it, you know, as a journalist, you're supposed to be kind of non-biased yeah. and kind of, um, you know, keep your emotions in check. But, you know, in the privacy of my home, I was still upset. I had COVID, so I couldn't even get a hug at the time. I remember yeah, yeah. being like that. So it was very emotional to be there today when it kind of came to its conclusion um, during the, the sentencing, um, uh, sorry, during the verdict. He will be sentenced on the 17th of November, which is next Friday. So we'll be back for that. But during the verdict, her family held up a framed photograph of, of Ashling um, and showed it to the court. And again, after the jury were kind of dismissed and leaving, they again held up this framed photo. And it was at that point, the courtroom burst out into round of applause, yeah. um, cheering the, the jury. I mean, there was one of the jurors, one of the women on the jury I seen as she was walking out, she was trying to hold back the tears. And I don't doubt that they also um, seen a reflection of themselves in in this trial and, and what happened to Ashing Murphy. And you see, like, it's, it, you're right, like, there is no two tiers of victims and people, if they live complicated lives or whatever, don't, no more deserve to die of murder than anybody else, mm -hmm. you know? But, I mean, the, it's still shocking that this sort of thing can happen. And, you know, because, like, I've been in trials where, uh, cases where somebody was maybe drunk or or out of their heads or something mm -hmm. and they commit a horrific act and you can sort of I'm not saying it, it excuses it makes it okay but you can at least understand that in a moment of rage or whatever somebody acts and does something like this there is no sense of that coming out of this trial because we don't know what Joseph Puska did. And the reason we don't know is because he decided to get on the stand, which is really rare, mm. and lie through his teeth yeah. and put that family. I mean, like we're sitting in a newsroom anxiously waiting a verdict. How must it have been for the family um, to await that, to have to go through, I mean, very graphic evidence very, yeah. of how she died. Um, the families would would have obviously known information about her death, but wouldn't have had to sit through that kind of really detailed description. And, you know, that's sort of another step of immorality, I think, from, from Joseph Puska. Absolutely. I mean, hearing those details of the post-mortem was absolutely gut-wrenching. Um, when it was kind of revealed to the court um, that the reason Ashing Murphy couldn't scream or make noise was because her voice box had been so damaged that the blood vessels around her neck had been so badly damaged she would have had nothing but blood in her throat. That was really heart-wrenching to hear and I really hope that that's information the family had been privy to prior to hearing that for, for the first time in court because I can't imagine how that would feel to hear in such a public forum as well. Um, I mean, 
they're conscious as well of the fact that they're in this room hearing all this information and through the trial, but they're also in a public setting. There's members of the media there and um, there's members of the public there. Um, and it's, it is just, it's, it's inhumane what they went through. I mean, I, I do also, I can see what you mean about, you know, if there's, there's some reason, some rhyme or reason why these things happen, but in this case, there's not, I mean, there's, we don't know what his intentions were that day. We don't know why he did what he did, because like you said, he got up on the stand and lied through his teeth. Which is rare, you see, because, yeah. because like, if you've been in a courtroom or in any circumstance, um, to actually stand up in front in public and say black is white it's a it's quite a difficult thing to do yeah um and in order to do that to be able to do that under pressure on being cross-examined for a full day in a court there has to be something off with the person yeah to stand up and lie so publicly and with a degree of confidence i know you're speaking through an interpreter yeah i mean i would say as well there was a kind of a level of feeling like the bar the barrier between him the, him and the microphone and telling the court was that translator. Yeah. He wasn't exactly saying to the court in English. Yeah, you know he was getting it. He had the the kind of the the privilege of of translating through somebody else, and they were the ones delivering that to the court. So I would imagine that was some sort of barrier for him, some sort of wall to protect himself in in what he was saying. But no less, um, it's it, yeah, it's socio sociopathic to it is I mean it's do that to a family yeah, because I mean if you've if people commit moments of madness and do stuff but they they tend to feel remorse and and you know it, it, that didn't seem to be there in this case no I mean also like subsequent like subsequent to the trial which stuff we weren't pub published we often know about a history of a of an of a defendant where you know they may have done some horrific crime before. There is no sense of that from Joseph Puska. No, nothing nothing in his past would indicate that this was coming down the line. Um, he lived in Ireland, was it five years? Or, he's or been living in Ireland since about 2012. 2012, sorry. And there's been absolutely nothing. I mean, he, like I said, he has, the, he, there was a, a huge sense of family values around him in mm. terms of his whole family being there today and throughout the trial. But also, I suppose, one of the things he said now he says he only remembers yeah. this um is that when he was in hospital he was asking after his family and he was worried for them and so obviously there is those familial ties but the fact that he could be so worried about his family um and thinking of them and what might happen to them but not having the same regard for ashing murphy's family is yeah. is quite something um i mean i do feel really sorry for his children. He's got five children um, who are going to grow up without, without a father. Yeah. Um, their father's going to be in prison now for a long time. And his youngest child at the time of the murder was only 10 months old. So they're heading into two, three now. And, you know, their father's been in custody since they were 10 months old, so they're not going to know them. Obviously, that doesn't bear in comparison to um, the family of Ashley Murphy, who are never going to see her again um, and don't get the benefit of, of being able to visit her in, in prison. Yeah, I mean, it's look, we're going to hear now maybe more. Some stuff may come out, but they're like, as far as can be told, there is no smoking gun, if you want, of, of you know, because there are some people that offend from their early teens and continue to offend throughout their life. That doesn't seem to have been the case in, in this case. I mean, I think it, it, it's interesting to look at the judge describe some of his excuses as as nonsense because, I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, it, they weren't 
well it wasn't a well thought out plan was it I mean there were some bits of it that were almost farcical like you know even if you look at the bit where he said he he sort of ended up in a ditch for four hours and yeah it was quite bizarre I mean the judge um did actually refer to this this man in black that supposedly attacked um, Ashton Murphy and Joseph Puska as a, a COVID-compliant killer because yeah. he was making fun of the fact that this guy was out murdering and stabbing people, yet he was, you know, COVID-compliant. He had a mask on, so yeah. that's why Joseph Puska didn't see his face. I thought that was quite comical because where, if this man exists, where has been the effort to find him? There is none because he didn't exist yeah. and doesn't exist. Yeah. And he's not going to come before the courts anytime soon because... And then there's just this web of lies about how he was, you know, he told the police he was stabbed in Blanchardstown. Then later on the stand, he was saying he'd been received the injuries at a different time. And it's just constant, these constant lies. Yeah, like, I mean, I still, we still don't know where or when he exactly got those wounds, whether it was in an attempt... Um, after the, the the stabbing, I mean, by the time he got to hospital, the, the blood and the wounds were dry. I don't know if he inflicted them on himself in Crumlin or if he inflicted them on himself before he even got home from Tullamore Town. Um, he says that he was in that ditch for four hours, but the prosecution put it to him that he wasn't unconscious. He was yeah. hiding because the area became a swarm of activity. There was guards, there was ambulances, there was, you know, onlookers trying to come up and see what was going on. There was so many people in the area at that time. He would have had no escape. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at as well, um, how he put like, you know, a bit of amateur psychology, like if, you know, not only does he put himself um, as a, somebody who didn't commit this murder, he actually puts himself as somebody who tried to save Ashling Murphy. Like, yes. Like a sort of narcissistic Very. thing to do. Because remember, he could have, which most people uh who are who are facing a murder charge say nothing it's just a no comment they never speak in court so he could have done that but instead he actually tried to present himself as a hero of the day yeah i mean he could have i mean he i think he he obviously said something at the time when he was in hospital um and then you know by the time he was arrested he needed to make something else up so but to actually go at the very first day of the trial when the defense began their cross examination of the very first witness Jenna Stack and they had put it to her that he was uh, sorry she was she wasn't the very first she was one of the first witnesses she, the defense put it to her that perhaps he had been in the ditch trying to save her and when that was said there was kind of an audible kind of shift in the mood in the room of gasps like the journalists were shocked um I suppose there was we didn't know what his defense was going to be if there was going to be a defense but for him to try and suggest that from the very onset um it was shocking to say that yeah, it is it's a it's a weird way to present yourself having yeah. killed a woman to actually try and present yourself as a saviour and then to follow through with it by going on the stand and saying it. I mean, it's not everybody who does it. And I think it's also a kind of a trait of that sort of narcissistic thing that if I say this, people are going to believe me. Mm. Now, Joseph Puska, he hasn't been formally sentenced, but because he's been convicted of mur murder, he's automatically going to serve a life sentence. Yep. There is no other tariff you can get. Um so I suppose, you know, it, as it, I'm sure many people know, but a life sentence in Ireland is, it doesn't, there's no minimum number of years and there's no maximum. So he could be in theory in jail for the rest of his life. There's nothing, there's no onus on the state to ever release him. However, 
the 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 average amount of time people spend in in prison for a life sentence i think is something between 17 it used to be 17 but it might have gone up a bit at this point um so he can apply for parole after a certain number of years i think it's mm. 14 um but he will automatically receive a life sentence um you know we didn't hear anything about you know his his uh psychology but we will hear have another further hearing i think did it give a date of that yeah so the sentencing hearing will be on the 17th of november uh which is next friday and i yes i do believe they'll possibly as well put forward if there's any m- mitigating mitigating factors yeah. um from both the defense and the prosecution um i mean there's cases where i've been at sentencing before and they at that point they do start bringing the stuff that the jury haven't heard but yeah that is next um friday and i mean he's only 33 yeah. um if he comes out he's going to be in his 50s yeah. if he comes out in 20 years time and i mean i is am i right in thinking that you can't actually leave the country isn't that part of the, pro- well, uh, the parole um, i'm not fully sure i mean they, they you're basically on license yeah. even when you're even when you're released you're on license and you can be brought back into jail uh, without a trial effectively. So if, if somebody's on a life sentence and, for example, they're in a fight in town, they can be automatically returned to prison. I don't think they're allowed to leave the country, but there may be circumstances where you can you can apply and particularly in the EU, maybe you would be allowed to move around. Mm. Um, but that that is it. You remain on license and you can be returned at any time. I suppose the broader question is, we're going to see a lot of people obviously reacting to this verdict because of the scale of the trial, you know, huge amount of interest, um, you know, and we've already had a certain amount of, you know, anti-immigrant stuff yes. is already out there. Um, there's going to be other people viewing it from different lenses, you know. I mean, as a, as a, as a, a young woman, do you feel that that it is a case that's affected young women in particular? Do you think that it's absolutely? Yeah, I mean, I remember at the time. To- I mean, at the time, there was a general sense of fear among young women. Yeah, I used to walk to the gym after work, and I'd be on the phone to my video call to my mom yeah. the whole time on my yeah. way there. And there was definitely a palpable sense of men also at the time. I feel like would take the, the moment to step back yeah. in the context of what was going on and move away and let you know that they weren't following you. Yeah. Um, I definitely affected young women um, in in that sense in the immediate aftermath. Mm. I think as well, it's it highlighted a huge issue of violence against women in Ireland. Yeah, I mean, there's so many women that are murdered behind their, you know, and there's there's violence going on behind closed doors and everything like that, and they don't nearly receive as much attention as something like this has happened. Yeah, and um, because you know, Ashley Murphy was seen as such an outstanding member of the community, a young woman, and I think as well, a lot of young people, like I said, I seen myself in that would see themselves in her position. Yeah, um, and understanding that sort of fear, and I think one of the things that struck me about this case was during the trial was Jenna Stack and Eva Marin when they ran away, they said that they were in fear that somebody was being raped yeah. and was in harm's way. And the two men that they approached said, one of them said um, that, oh, sure, it's none of my business. It's just what happens around these parts, whatever happens between a couple, but happens between a couple. And the other said she thought that the women were overreacting. I think that really highlighted the difference in the reaction of men and women because women the worst thing that can happen to them is they're going to be raped and murdered mm. um, by a man I think for a man the worst thing that can happen is a woman will laugh at them yeah. um, and I feel like there was a huge that really highlighted for me the sense and the difference of of the fear levels among yeah. men and women and of course like there wasn't a, a sexual assault in this no, case no. but that is obviously the, the fear that, that goes on yeah I mean I think there's it's it, 
you know, it's because we don't have a, a, a reason, and I think that's kind of even referenced in the court, like it's 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 going to leave it open to interpretation. But I think, and that's the nature of, yeah. of, of society, you know. Um, but I hope um, for Ashley Murphy's family that there is some relief yeah. um, in a verdict. Um, they were there every day, more, more or less, um, the whole family and... You know, your thoughts have to go with them. I mean, it's it's they're they're by all accounts a lovely family who who would never have imagined this landing at their door and then to have to be gone through that grueling process. And there's no doubt that they will have even found the media attention and hearing all of that stuff really, really difficult. So um, you know, your thoughts are with them. Absolutely. I mean, I just hope, I mean, this this kind of story, I mean, it's caused such, it's been on the international stage. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's going to be one of those cases, unfortunately, you get sucked up into that um, true crime, you know, yeah. frenzy of, yeah. of, of activity. Um, but I really do hope that they can have some peace now. Yeah. And of course, it becomes uh, a political football as well yes. for various people and, you know, I don't think that necessarily is right, but um, look, our thoughts are with them. I think it's fair to say tonight, and we will come back to the case when we when we when we come to the sentencing again. And uh, thank you very much, Claudia. Thank you very much, Niall. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claudia Meany. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday world if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday world responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.